Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back, fight fans, to the Big Fight Reaction Show. To the weekend's action, Chris Billum-Smith and Isaac Chamberlain put on one hell of a fight, another fight of the year contender. And I'm really excited to be talking about it. But it feels a little bit strange doing a reaction show without actually previewing it because, as you know, I was on holiday last week. I actually had some time away with my family and enjoyed it, whilst also catching up with a lot of the boxing and watching the Legendary Nights podcast go out. It's been a it's been a nice little week away, but I'm happy to be back talking about the sport that we love so much. And what a great fight to be talking about from the weekend just gone, Johnston. Billum Smith and Isaac Chamberlain. You know, they produced one hell of a fight. And looking at the aftermath of this fight, Isaac Chamberlain, at the time, we knew there was an issue with his eye. You could see there was a sort of swelling on his eye. But I didn't realise until it came out that he had a fractured orbital bone in the, the second or the third round. I think it was the third round, he said. So he went for the remainder of that fight on absolute heart, determination and instinct to get himself through it. What did you think of the performance from both of the fighters? First of all, Chris Billum Smith obviously being the winner, but also Isaac Chamberlain. You know, he's been quite inactive, and yet he goes into a fight of this magnitude and puts on one hell of a performance. He does, and I do like Isaac. Um, I've keeping an eye on him since he sort of uh, he's, he's, since the Lawrence O'Coley fight, and a little bit before that, um, I was I was really pleased with with Chamberlain taking that. The Coley fight so early, and both of them, you know, you got to give huge credit to them because we don't really see that. And um, and and you've seen how Lawrence has gone on, and Isaac has had to sort of tread water a little bit and and slowly get himself back into a position where he was a headliner, and he took on Billum Smith. And I thought Billum Smith for the early stages, I thought he was sort of dominating. Um, Chamberlain was in the fight. I thought he used the jab well, and then Chamberlain, 
although he had the problem early in the fight of his eye, which you could clearly see, and I've seen the, the pictures after, he he looks terrible. He looks like his face is slightly deformed from it as well. Clearly, it would be. Um, but he showed some true grit. I mean, it was, a, it was a grueling fight for the pair of them because Isaac refused to just back down and he came came back for me. I feel like he, he forced his way back into the fight. But I think sort of towards the end rounds, although they were both tired, both clearly exhausted uh, by the pace of the fight, I just felt that Bill and Smith just did enough to then pull away and take the fight. I thought it was a bit harsh, the 117-111 scorecards. All three went for Bill and Smith. There was no arguments that Bill and Smith won the fight, but I felt that there was a few closer rounds, which I felt that Chamberlain deserved to get, which they didn't. So, you know, if you didn't see this fight and you look at it, you'd think it's just a shutout fight. It wasn't. It wasn't at all, Sean, was it? No, it was competitive, weren't it? So you would expect that. You'd expect the cards to be a little bit close. I know we complain a lot about judges, and there'll be a, a little bit of complaints about that later on when we talk about the Danny Garcia fight, <laughs> of course. But, yep. you know, you look at the, the way the fight went, and it was highly competitive. I don't think it's an injustice anyway, that's, that's no, for sure. No. It's just, it was a highly competitive fight, and I think they did him a little bit dirty by not making it a closer card. Having said that, I still think it was a a fight that both of them needed, that both of them were able to take a lot from. And and obviously, they're both going to move on in their careers now. And I think that's where the the conversation's going to move for us. Because Chris Billum-Smith at this point, looking at his career and where he is at now, since he's lost to Riakpour, he's been on a fantastic run of fights in the past three years. He's he fought Tommy McCarthy twice and beaten him. He's beaten Nathan Forley, beaten Craig Glover. You know, these are names that were all around the domestic scene who people said he needed to beat to go on in his career. And he's done it. And now he's gone on and beaten Isaac Chamberlain. So at this point in time for Billum Smith, where where does he go now? Because I feel like he's in a little bit of, of, of a no-man's land, so to speak, because, you know, the other cruiserweights around at the moment are, of course, Lawrence Okola, who's a cruiserweight champion, and Richard Riakpour, who, who looks to be on the cusp of challenging, potentially, for a world title. With Chris Billum-Smith, you've got a guy who who's not just a Commonwealth, but he's, he's a European champion. So, naturally, you want to see him move forward in his career. But, who could he fight at this point in time? Who would be the ideal opponents that you would think would be good for him before he looks to move on to a world title challenge? I mean, I'm sure he'd be looking at some of the former champions. Um, I mean, the fact is, is is he is he ahead of Riakpour? Um, Riakpour's obviously beaten Bill and Smith. So, you know, when you look at it, you'd say Riakpour is the next guy after Lawrence. And then you would say Bill and Smith. And I think that's pretty evident now because... For me, anyone in and around those three, um, they've dealt with. Um, so, you know, ideally, you want them to be pushing on and fighting the big names. I mean, look, the big names in the division are the old boys. You know, if they want a big paycheck, they're risky fights. And whether the old boys would actually really fancy or not, we'll have to see. But, I'm, you know, I'll be looking at a Kovlev or a Jack, literally because the names are big enough and you're going to get a bigger draw, a bigger audience because I don't think they're going to get that title shot yet. Or even like uh, Breedis, who's just come off of a defeat. That's He's obviously 37. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not, we're still not quite sure what's happening there, whether he's going to try and pursue a rematch or not. But um, I would say they're the guys to be looking at, unless you really want to push yourself and look for like a daughter, Chris, who I think is still, at the age of 36, is definitely one of the best names in this division. Um, and yeah, so um, they're, they're the sort of games, the, the guys you're going to be looking at, unless you can just get yourself that title shot. If they can get themselves into that position, Sean, then fantastic. Otherwise, 
I don't know. There's not really anyone left on the domestic scene for either of these guys, unless unless Billum Smith and Riappol get it on again. But I don't really see the point until one of them really gets a title shot, and then we see how they do after that. I think the one name that springs to mind for me, who you would class as a domestic opponent because he's British, but he's also a world champion, albeit maybe fringe world champion, is the IBO World Cruiserweight Champion, Jack Massey. He holds the I B he he holds that IBO title at the moment, having having won it, the vacant title last year. So why not look for a fight against a Jack Massey to, to look at winning the IBO world title? I mean, yes, okay, it's not one of the big four, but it's starting to gain a little bit of a better reputation for the fights that are being matched. So I think possibly there would be a route there for Bill and Smith where, you know, is it an easy fight to make? If it is and there's a world title there, why not go down that route before you then look at one of the old boys? Or alternatively, if they really do want to push him forward straight into a fight with like a Kovalev or a Jack, or even a Dortikos, then, you know, that's yeah. a big statement. And it's a, it's a statement that I can, I can see happening because I think the one thing I've not touched on with him is how much of an improved fighter he is. He's improved so much with Shane, Shane McGuigan. And Shane McGuigan's had that same effect with Lawrence Okolai in the cruiserweight division, ironically as well, and he's doing a great job with Chris Billum Smith. So I think there's a potential there that you can look at Jack Massey, or you can look at a, a name, a former world champion, an older boy, and get a big scalp on your record. These are the types of conversations we was having only a few weeks ago when we was talking about Richard Riakpour and his victory. So it's not without the realms of possibility that these types of fights can happen. Could there be a rematch? Tell, tell you, sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. I mean, the other thing, you look at the two, that I'm not even going to try and pronounce uh, the French guy's name, but the guy who owns the WBA super title and uh, the, 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 the guy from Belgium. These two guys have got a version of WBA title, but they, they do not want to fight outside their, their homelands. Uh, they will not travel. Um, and you do wonder whether that, you know, there's an element there where they, they just can't get them fights. And obviously, Macabre was looking for the big paycheck, wasn't he? So, or even a, up a tie, but I think that would be Lawrence O'Coley be looking at, but a massive one's definitely one to look at, but, you know, these other guys holding the WBA title, I'm not quite sure whether they're sort of holding that to ransom at the minute. You've got three versions of it. Who's the genuine championship? And I couldn't even tell you, mate. <laughs> That's funny. Well, this is this is another episode, isn't it? Like the organisations <laughs> and how many different organisations, how many different versions of belts. It's a farce. Def- that WBA title might as well be stripped. I think the IBO's probably got more credibility in this division than the WBA, to be honest, right now. Well, it's a fair point. It's a fair point and a fair comment, <laughs> to is. be honest. Yeah. I think you've got to look at Chris Billing Smith and where he's going to go. And I think there's plenty of options, which is what we're trying to highlight to everybody. There are plenty of options available for him. It's just kind of a case of what can they make for him next. I think he's ready for a move up in opposition, in level of opposition, given the progress he's made. That's the point I'm trying to make. I could see him fighting a big name. I could see him fighting a Jack Massey. I could see him moving forward in his career. And before we know it, we could have potentially, you know, a react Paul Bill and Smith rematch where actually there might be a world title on the line, which would be an even bigger fight. So, yeah, there's a lot of potential there with him. And Isaac Chamberlain, obviously, is going to come again. He's going to come again. He's proven, again, that he he's at that level. He's definitely at that level. I think what did it for me in this fight against Bill and Smith was his inactivity he'd not fought for over seven months at the point he got in the ring against Billum Smith and even the fights he'd been involved in 
there were only really tune up fights. They weren't pressing fights for him. Yes, he got rounds in, but you know, Chris Billum Smith has been to the well quite a few times in big fights against big names in the domestic division. And I think the lack of an experience, I think, is what is what really hampered Isaac Chamberlain yeah. in this fight. And I think everything we saw from him was skill, ability, heart and determination. And I just feel like if he would have been a little bit more active, maybe he would have had a, a big fight against another opponent in the division, that maybe it would have given him a better chance of being able to beat Bill and Smith. Because you could see that that fight shown that he's got the ability to, to, to beat Bill and Smith. He just he wasn't able to follow through. That and the fact that he had the injury didn't help matters, of course. But I think he's, he's going to come again and it'll be interesting to see what route he takes. But big props to the pair of them because it was a great fight, a, a really well-needed fight. We've had quite a few of them this year. Lee Wood, Michael Conlon probably stands out the most so far to me. But this isn't too far behind because it was a brilliant fight. And also it highlighted the fact that this year we've seen Boxer as a promotional company put on some really good main event competitive fights. I think this is about the fourth or the fifth one this year where I can honestly say I've sat down and, you know, I've enjoyed watching their main event, which is promising really. It's promising when... You know, we, we complain a lot about the quality of, of what promotional companies can put on. And, okay, the undercard, it was a little bit hit and miss like many undercards are. But the main event, what we all came to sit there and watch, it delivered. And there's been quite a few occasions where the fights have delivered on boxers. So I was really impressed with, with the main event. Do you want to talk a little bit about the undercard as well? And, and obviously some of the some of the victories for some of the fighters on there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's good to see our um, uh, Ben Whitaker making his debut. Uh, we spoke uh, very highly of the kid um, from the Olympics. And, uh, you know, he, he won in two rounds and he did go on like he's already won a world title. Um, he is going to be a fun guy to watch, Whitaker. Um, he is uh, he's, he gets a weird bit away with the fairies, doesn't he? I mean, we, we witnessed that in Tokyo. And uh, I think he, he's going to bring a bit of fresh air to this uh to, to boxing in general, to this division, to lightweight division, because I do think he's he's a bit of a showman, isn't he? But so it's good to see him get a win. Fraser Clark, obviously, as well, getting a win on there, and Caroline Dubois. It was nice to see those three in particular. You know, um, cut the well one and zero, obviously Fraser before that, and um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, it's just an interesting setup seeing those three joining boxer, as you mentioned, in Sean. Like the fact is, is that boxer are producing. Uh, some decent decent cards, decent fights. I mean, I wouldn't say this card was fantastic. I enjoyed the main event. Uh, Pigford, obviously, he's another. You were talking about inactivity. I mean, Joe Pigford, you can't get any more inactive than he, he's been. Um, and uh, still undefeated at 19-0. Uh, gets gets uh, rid of uh, Raphael King. Uh, but, yeah, look, the, the, I think the fact is, is just they've got the emergence of these three in particular. How far can Caroline Dubois go in the female side of things? I mean... I think quite far, to be quite honest with you. I think she's got all the all the tools necessary. And obviously, Fraser Clark, how far can he go? Can he sort of follow suit of a Joe Joyce? Um, sort of obviously ch- turning over very late in his career and wants a quick uh, foot up, really. But he seems like quite a genuinely nice fellow and he knows his stuff when he does his panditry. But yeah, that those would be the main points for me to see those three in particular. Because I'm sure other networks like The Zone would have been looking at those three and probably tried to sign on themselves and, and also BT. So um, yeah, kudos to to boxer for getting them free and they're definitely free i will be watching 
rise through the professional game. So we wanted to talk about Danny Garcia's return to the ring and more importantly, the fact that he's moved up in weight to £154 and he took on Jose Benavides Jr. and got a majority decision. It shouldn't have been a majority decision. It should have been a unanimous decision. We will talk about that in great detail in a minute. But Danny Garcia back in the ring, uh, I think what was very prominent about the fact that he won this fight was the fact that we know he's had some issues outside of the ring and he'd not been in the ring for about 18 months since his loss to Errol Spence at 147 in December of 2020. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But what he showed me in, in this fight was that... His ring generalship, his skill, his ability is all well intact. It's all well still there. But at 34 years of age and with him moving up in weight, to me it sort of signifies that he's looking at the the back end of his career now and, and what can he do in the 154 division? Can he capture another world title? So before we talk about what he does next, let's just talk about his victory over Jose Benavides. I, I was quite impressed with his victory. I was, I was impressed by the way, you know, he threw them combinations and he, he spun off Jose Benavides Jr., who, to be fair to him, put up a really competitive fight, but definitely not enough to get a draw on one of the judges' scorecards. So... Let's just address that fact first. Well, Eska Roldan was the one that scored at 114, a draw. And the other two judges scored at 116, 112, 117, 111, which was more a true reflection of how this fight went down. It does make you wonder, doesn't it? And we're going to lead into a little bit of a rant of the week here. It does make you wonder like, how some of these judges can be put into such a prime position You know, with so many of these great names of the sport. And how can they see a completely different fight from their peers? What did you think about Danny's performance? And also, what did you make from that that scorecard? Uh, look, it was a dominant performance for me. Danny Garcia won the fight comfortably uh, at a new weight, looking, obviously, to try and um, become a freeweight world champion, basically. Yeah, he's already had two titles, I believe. I think he had. Yes, he did. Yep. He did. He did, didn't he? He did a genuine one. That's what I'm thinking about. Was it genuine? I think it was. Um, so, yeah, looking to be a freeweight world champion. Look, this is the division we've spoken about. Obviously, Charlo, is he staying? Is he going? He's got all the titles. We still know that these titles are going to become fragmented. He's, um, you know, when you look at the top guys, you look at sort of uh, Charlo and uh, and Castano, uh, Tim Zoo, obviously, in emergence, uh, Liam Smith. I mean, if one of them become fragmented, you could even see a Danny Garcia and Liam Smith uh, fight at some point. That's that's not a bad one. He could win another title in this division. I believe he can do it, even at the age of 34. Um, and I, I know, um, I believe it was uh, Keith Furman that was calling him out. So I'm not quite sure what Keith Furman's doing. Is he looking to move into this weight as well and move out of that dangerous welterweight division where the, the young kids are sort of going to genuinely take over, I, I feel. Um, so... Uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, but just going to the, I mean, what on earth? I mean, um, I think it was Bert Sugar that said someone uh, must have tripped over the blind dogs or something to, <laughs> on the way to the ring or something you mentioned once. Um, I'm not, look, what are you watching? Um, 
if these are qualified, she, he, sorry, I'll call her she there. Um, they, I'm guessing it's a he as well. <laughs> I've even seen the rude person. I probably should do that. Uh, but look, um, one forty, one forty is it's just ludicrous. I don't even know how how anybody could watch the fight. I mean, I'm sure you all have. Um, I watched it. I've watched it once. I don't need to watch it again. Garcia won the fight as clear as day. How on earth you get that? I don't know. Um, uh, I, I did watch an old 1980s fight. Uh, Bobby Chacon Limon, their second fight, and uh, referee gave a bit of a a, a a strange card. It wasn't as strange as this one, but he um, he actually went on to the comment on the commentary and, and had a chat about it and explained his reasoning. Um, I don't get why people can't do this. Why, like, if you're going to have a judge that's going to throw out a card like this? They need to defend themselves because um, they just look shameful. And the first thing we all think of is you're going to throw out a card like that. It's it's, it's a strange one because it was as clear as day, never a draw. Um, can you explain yourself, please? Just genuinely say or, you know, hold your hands up and say, I've made an absolute mistake. I don't even know what I was watching. I had a bad night. I don't know. I, I only slept two hours. Or so. Give us an excuse rather than having a situation where we will now start to think, well, you know, how many... Uh, uh, Brown envelopes were passed to, the, to this judge. Um, look, uh, it's it's you just you can't help it. You go straight onto this side of things. Of, but in a, it's not even a major enough fight for him to throw out a bad card. Uh, a terrible judge, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Terrible judge. Was it just a bad night? Who knows? We will never find out, Sean. It's just a poor, poor card. Well, just for clarity for the listeners, we'll ask a roll down. He's actually a male, not a female. Uh, it does help, obviously, <laughs> when you check the uh, gender of, of the judges. I think... You don't just. You, I mean, for for us, like UK, we know who all the judges are, don't we? Do you know what I mean? Like we know yeah, exactly. who, who who all the judges are, and we, we we know them. We see the faces. They're also acting as referees a lot of the time, so we know who's who, who who's a crap judge, who's a good judge, who's a crap referee, etc. But obviously, we don't know. I'd not really. Uh, took notice of, of, of most of the judges from all the American fights and, and all the fights across the world. So, you know, a bit of an oversight maybe on our part, but just for clarity, it, it is a melee. <laughs> just to let everybody know if you were wondering. But going back to the point at hand, the rant really is just like you say, Johnson, they don't even get called to question as to why these cards are, are sometimes as poor as they are. And I think until them types of changes are made in the sport, it's always going to happen. It's always going to affect fighters' careers. It's always going to take a paycheck away from them until someone just comes along and completely shifts the momentum of how the scoring gets done, how the judging gets done, even how the refereeing gets done. I genuinely don't think we'll ever see it. Maybe not in our lifetimes, but... I just don't, I can't see it happening anytime soon. It's just a summer else for us to moan about, really, isn't it? The fact that they just keep doing it and doing it and getting away with it. And, you know, we move on to another week and it happens again, or we move into another place and it happens again. It's just such a shame that, you know, it can potentially ruin a fighter's career. Fortunately for Danny Garcia, it didn't affect him on this night because the other two judges saw it right and saw that it was a victory for Danny Garcia and it was a comprehensive victory for Danny Garcia. But going back to the the matter at hand about him being in the 154 division now, you know, there are a lot of fighters in there that you've briefly mentioned there, the likes of Tim Zhu and Charlo, who are supposed to be fighting in January of 2023. You've got Sebastian Fundora. Brian Castano, you've got Liam Smith, who's just had his next fight announced as well. You've got Erickson Lubin, Tony Harrison, you know, even the likes of Sam Eggington, who is the IBO 
world champion. Remember, we did that episode on him recently, him becoming the IBO super welterweight champion. Is there a chance there for someone like a Sam Eggington to really get a good paycheck against a good name like Danny Garcia, who would be looking to become a three-weight world champion? Maybe it's not one of the big four but it's still a legitimate world title. So there's potential fights out there for Danny Garcia. I think we will see him in these big fights before it's all said and done. I think he's probably got, if I'm going to estimate how long he's got left in his career, I'd say about two years. I'd say two years he's got left before we see him go out. Will he win a world title? Who knows? Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But it's going to be fun to watch. Well, let's just move on to a couple of the other fights on that card then. Uh, Gary Antoine Russell actually picked up a great TKO victory over Rancis Barfelmi. Barfelmi was down in round number six and he got up. It looked like he was ready to continue, but the referee said that he wasn't. So he waved the fight off. And, you know, Gary Antoine Russell is another one of the Russell family. They're all named Gary, aptly. But he's the one in the division now, in the super lightweight division, that's actually being recognised as a potential world title contender, potential world champion. I think a lot of people think he's going to go on to be a world champion. He beat Victor Postal in February of this year. He stopped him in the 10th round of that scheduled 10. And then he stopped Rancis Barfelmi. These are two really, really good names. And he stopped a pair of them. This this is a big statement for him in this division. I genuinely think now, you know, he will move forward in his career. And we were talking a few weeks ago, weren't we? You know, about the yeah. super lightweight division when we was doing uh, a roundup of, of, of obviously the other fights. And we were talking about the type of fights that we can see within that division. And you've got the likes of, obviously... Garcia, who we were talking about at the time. You've got Regis Pagrai, you've got Sander Martin, Jack Catterall, and Josh Taylor. It looks like that fight is going to happen. Josh Taylor's apparently giving up his WBC title so that he can fight Jack Catterall in the rematch. So, you know, Antoine Russell, Gary Antoine Russell, looks like he's going to be another guy in that division that, you know, potentially could end up fighting Jack Catterall at some point in the future, or a Regis Pagrai. I think there's some really great fights in the super lightweight division at the moment. I'm really sort of impressed by the breadth of talent that, that's come through. And with the likes of Arnold Barboza Jr., who we mentioned a few weeks ago as well, and all the other talents that are around, you know, that sort of top 10 looks really highly competitive at the moment. And I'm really excited to see, you know, where the fights get made and who gets put in against Gary Antoine Russell because he looked really good in that fight and he stopped a guy who had only been defeated once. So for me, it was a big statement for him now. And I think before this fight, people probably wasn't looking at him as a world title contender. And I think now people are probably looking at him and thinking, I'm not so sure I want a piece of that because that's a big risk and maybe not a lot of reward. So definitely someone that I think we all should be looking out for and looking at where his career goes next. Maybe he'll actually be a lot more active than his brother because yeah. that's that's the one thing that I think we we always got pissed off about with his brother was that he was just so inactive, like one fight a year, whereas Antoine Russell is actually being, you know, he's been, he's been active and that's what you should be doing. So yeah, looking forward to seeing where his career goes. Uh, on the same card, Adam Kwanaki suffered a defeat, another defeat in his career. He's lost twice to Hellenius and now he's lost... Well, to be honest with you, to a guy that I didn't even know, Ali Eren Demazeren, I didn't even know who he was going into this fight. I'll be totally honest with, with you, the listener, because 
you know, I don't, I don't know who he is. I was like, who is this guy? Or I genuinely thought, even though he had a record of of, of sixteen and one going into it, you know, yeah, he'd beat Gerald Washington, yeah, he'd beat Kevin, jo- he'd beat Camille Sokolowski, you know, he'd lost to FA Jag, but that was his loss on his record going into it. But I didn't really make too much of it. I genuinely thought Ponaki was going to be the one that had come out, but he lost over ten rounds, and he looked, he looked out of shape. He got bullied around the ring. And genuinely now, when we were talking about Chisora a few weeks ago and thinking about maybe who could Chisora fight, I, I don't think I'd want to see Chisora fight Kwanake. I think Kwanake, I think now has been exposed and has shown where his level is at. And I just don't think it'll ever be anywhere near world title level. Level. I think at one point we were even talking about Joshua fighting him a couple of years ago. And it's definitely not going to happen now. He's, he's Unless he can make a big career resurgence, uh, I can't see him ever being at that level where people thought it was going to be only a couple of years ago. I'm with you. I mean, look, the fact is, I think those two defeats have damaged him. Um, and, you know, as you said, I, don't, I didn't know about Ali myself. I mean, um, he's, he's a big guy and he's a bit, bit flabby around that sort of uh, midsection. Um, but look, he was game and we know Kornacki's game. He, look, let's be honest, he, he gets hit a lot. He throws a lot of punches. But for this fight, I don't know, he just didn't do enough uh, and he got hurt. Well, he got hit too many times. Um that is always a problem for Kunaki. And I think, um, you know, it just shows you that um, the level of, you know, your mentality going into fights, just how vital it is, because obviously mentally he's not quite there anymore. His confidence is absolutely shattered. You know, even it, it's literally just been, it's been, you know, from one point, as you say, on the verge of fighting Anthony Joshua, and Anthony Joshua actually decided to go down a Ruiz route because he probably felt as many of us did at that time as Kornacki is a better fighter than Ruiz Jr. So that says something, didn't it? The difference between the two fellas at the moment is uh, Ruiz Jr. is a genuinely big name and, and Kornacki is just on the slide. So, yeah, I mean, I think he did say something about he just wants one more fight for his fans as well. So um, I think he's, uh, he, as I say, his confidence has absolutely just been blotted and, and it's it's hard, mate. How do you, how do you, get yourself back into that mentality and, and wanting to fight and getting the motivation. He got to a point and he's been pushed down another few levels. And how is he ever going to get But You know, you need that motiva- motivation. You need the support. And I just don't think he's got it around him. But just going back to what you were saying as well about uh, Gary Antoine Russell, um, I, I'm looking at this division. I mean, Taylor, Ramirez, Catrell, uh, Martin, with Russell in there, Pro Gray, Zapida, Ryan Garcia, Arnold uh, Bardoza Jr., Montana Love. I mean, you talk about top 10, that is a fresh bunch there. I mean, you know, you've got some 33-year-olds in there, but, you know, Zapida, Pro Gray, that, and then you, you had Garcia, uh, mate, that, I'll tell you what, that's a division littered with some talent. Really is, isn't it? Really is loaded with some talent. I'm excited to see where that division goes over the course of the next two years with all the talented fighters. And let's not forget, there are fighters in the lower divisions that are probably going to end up coming up as well. So, you know, if you if you see Davis Jude, Javante Davis come up, and then you you know you see the other fighters move up alongside him, there's going to be some great fights coming in in the future for that particular division. Well, there's only one more card that we want to cover only a couple of fights that we want to cover before we go into a, a bit more of a light-hearted end to the episode to say the least and we wanted to cover josh kelly josh kelly returning to the ring again getting a 10-round unanimous decision against lucas brian ariel bastida wbo international super welterweight title was on the line it was vacant josh kelly wins it via unanimous decision not impressed at all with josh kelly since his return to the ring 
feel like he may be has took a backward step in his career since he's lost to Avenincian. Doesn't seem to be moving forward in his career. I mean, people might say otherwise because he's fighting for these bullshit titles, but I just don't feel like... The talent he's got, the potential he's got, why why is he doing this now? He's 28 years of age. I'd be expecting him now to be moving his career straight back up again. Okay, he's come back from that loss. It wasn't a great loss for him to, to, to incur against Avenincian. But he's come back and, you know, we had the issues with the fight that was called off and there was issues over the weight. So now, obviously, he's got his, he's, he's found his bearings up in the super welterweight division at 154. He beats Peter Kramer in June and, you know, he's, he's active. He's, he's had a fight again a month later, which is great, which is fantastic. However, I want to see him move forward. But with performances like that, can you genuinely see him challenging the other super welterweights that we've just been talking about, the likes of Danny Garcia? Can you genuinely see it? Because at this moment in time, I'm sort of struggling to see how he would be competitive against half of these guys. Unless he comes out with an absolutely amazing performance against a very well-known name, at the moment I feel like it's a bit of a regression and I'm not convinced by him. Oh, I'm, do you know what? I'm not. Um, I watched that fight in a pub um, and um, I t- should have put it back onto the Commonwealth, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> it was appalling. I, I, honest to God, I, I didn't enjoy the fight. I thought it was very flat, mundane. Um, I don't think Josh Kelly was motivated by it. Um, you know, they tried to spice it up and make it sound greater than it was. I mean, the crowd basically just, there was hardly anyone in there and it was not like the biggest venue. Um, I don't know. It's like the. You, you, when you look at sort of uh, how Sky and BT, you know, have, have progressed and they sort of get the crowd behind fighters. I mean, we see it with uh, Billum Smith with with the Bournemouth lot. They really got behind him, and that was good to see in, in a small venue. And it was, it was electric, and he didn't feel that with Josh. Um, I don't feel like he's been. I, I don't know since since the Aviensian defeat. I mean, we're talking about um, Kunaki. His confidence was shattered, and um, and I feel like they're trying to build him back up again. But I'm just not convinced. I mean, you look at what James Metcalf's has gone and done against Lejeraga recently. You know, he's proving, in, you know, he's going he's gonna to go into some dangerous waters and, and show himself. Metcalf's above Kelly. You know, Kieran Conway's above Kelly. Ted Cheeseman, Egerton, uh, Smith. I, I don't see Kelly beating any of these guys. Stylistically, he looks fantastic when he's on in his flow. But he's lost that. I, I don't know. He's lost the spark. Maybe he needs the big fight. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that will give him the, the fire in his belly. And it looks like it's going to be Troy Williamson. And I'll be honest with you, I favour Troy. Yeah, that'll be a great fight to see. I think Kelly's got the ability to make it an easy fight for himself. But you'd favour Troy at this point in time because of where Troy's career has gone and where he's at at the moment. But it's a great fight. And that's the one that they look like they're calling for next. And it's the fight we want to see, let's be honest. We want to see Josh Kelly in there with a guy like Troy Williamson who will show him and give him hell and hopefully bring the best out of him because that's what we yeah. want to see we're not convinced yeah. by him because we've not seen the best of him yet you know the way he built his career up earlier on he was blasting guys away he was making it look so easy but it's so easy to look good against guys that are there to survive and to be paid to survive when you get a, a live opponent a guy who's dangerous and have an Indian, you come up short and this is exactly what's happened to him. So the rebuilding process needs to take a step forward with Josh Kelly now. Didn't look great, but sometimes you can't always look great against every opponent. We understand that. So let's see if the Troy Williamson fight happens. Let's see if it progresses. Let's see if it helps bring Josh Kelly back to that mentality he was in before and gives him the confidence he needs to to show 
the ability he has. On the undercard then, Johnson, Harlem Eubank in a peculiar fight, a disqualification victory over Elliot Chavez because Chavez was disqualified for twice punching Harlem Eubank after the break had been called. It's just one of them mad moments in boxing that you just don't really expect to happen. He just seemed really frustrated, Elliot Chavez. He seemed frustrated that Harlem Eubank had, had, had just basically done a bit of a number on him over the course of the nine rounds. And he just seemed so frustrated that he just decided to continue to do what he was doing. And for Harlem Eubank, he now moves to 15-0 and with six KOs. He's another fighter in the super lightweight division who's sort of coming hot up on the trails of all the other domestic opponents. What did you make of that fight, first and foremost? A bit of a strange affair. And then, also, we just want to sort of take a moment to look at the sort of fights Harlem Eubank should be looking at next. Yeah, I mean, um, Harlem done... I mean, it was he done his job. He, he done well. And um, and I think, as you say, Chavez did. He just got a little bit... He got frustrated in there, let's be honest. Um, I think there was... I mean, they did mention it, there, there being a slight language breakdown. And I do probably think that was the case. Even Harlem Eubank was like, you know, he's looking at the ref saying, look, he's hit me late again. And he did get warned. But how many times have we seen so many other fights that, you know, things like that happen on a regular basis, not even a warnings mentioned. And, um, you know, we see it with um, Derek Chisora when he fought Pulev the other night and Derek landed a late one and then Pulev landed one back on him and it happened a few times. He didn't even get a warning for any of that and the holding and stuff like that, the, the rabbit punches. So sometimes you just get sometimes these referees and Kenny Pringle obviously was a, is a little bit more stricter on these kind of things. But, you know, I don't think anyone would have really bothered if it had gone on another round. I don't see, I didn't see the relevance in, in, in get sort of disqualifying him. I have another warning. Look, he's frustrated, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm sure Harlem looked like he was sort of like, yeah, it's bollocks, but I'd have fought another few, you know, another round. Um, yeah, didn't quite understand that. But look, it is what it was. I think you, Eubank had the fight one. He gets the fight. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Where does he go next in this division? Um, I mean, uh, again, it's just one of those. You need to be looking at the domestic route. I mean, this division for, for us, I mean, it's domestic. I mean, there's O'Hara Davis out there. You know, you've got even the Robbie Davis Jr., Louis Ritz, Lewis Ritson. Um, you've got some good fights in there. But when you look at sort of, he's fought Sean Dodd um, and uh, Varel Simon. I remember those two names in particular. But after that, I'm sort of looking. Um, there's no one that jumps out at me. When, when you... When you're in this division, specifically, I think uh, for domestic side of things, I think you got to, you've got to prove yourself on the domestic scene, and you've got to try and put yourself as the number one guy. Um, so for me, I think that's what he needs to be doing. So those names in particular for me, you know, the Davis Junior fight, I think it's a good test for him. I think um, the Lewis Ritson's a great test. I mean, I know they're further ahead, but saying that Harlem's mate, you know, he's sixty, he's fifteen and oh. He's 28, you know, same age as Lewis. I mean, that's a fight I could have. It's just the cross-networking stuff, isn't it, Sean? I know that's a problem. Um, but, yeah, that, that I mean, rather than just fighting these average fighters, uh, I don't see the point. I don't, I don't really believe it's going to progress him until he fights one of these guys over here. Yeah, I think there's some good fights, some good names that you've mentioned there. I think that's where, ideally, you'd want to see him moving forward at 15-0 and in his career. Another competitive division domestically, really, with a lot of other fighters hot on the trails of that of that top 10 of, of the domestic fighters. The likes of Ritson and Robbie Davis Jr. and O'Hara Davis. You know, the likes of Harlem Eubank and, and the Jack Rafferty's of the world who are starting to really progress up the ranks quick are going to be getting involved in these types of fights soon. So it is going to be interesting to see how Harlem Eubank 
Eubank fits into that mix. So just rounding up that card, Pat McCormack had his second pro fight, got the victory, TKO in the first round by a left to the head, which finished it off. So for me, I haven't got any other sort of fights and roundups that I want to do for, for the rest of that weekend. I wanted to take the last couple of moments of the episode just to go back and address a few of the Twitter <laughs> Twitter posts that have been going out over the past two weeks. And it might feel like we're a little bit behind the times. Obviously, I've been on holiday, so I've sort of seen all this stuff while I've been away, and I thought I'm going to wait to speak about it on the pod with Johnston before I really address it. So... Both of these particular incidents involve Sonny Edwards. He's absolutely, he's a rebel. This guy is a rebel. He's a fantastic fighter, but he's a rebel on social media. So forgive us for not knowing the names of every single person involved in this. But the incidents that I saw while I was away was you had this fella on social media. I can't remember what his name was. I think it was Fab or Fab Summit. Fab Summit. Anyway, he basically is giving Sonny Edwards shit on social media and he's, he's saying he's going to fight him, he wants to challenge him, he wants to spar with him, whatever it was he actually said. The guy actually turned up at his gym. The guy turned up at Sonny Edwards' gym to spar with him and I think it was Boxing King Media were the ones that actually filmed it and put it on social media and Sonny Edwards is just toying with him. He's just absolutely toying with this guy. He's not even taking it seriously but as soon as he hits this guy... This guy folds like an accordion. Fair play to the fella. Fair play to the fella for turning up. I think, did he want his, Did he just want his couple of minutes of fame? Because why would you challenge a world champion? Why would you want to challenge a world champion as, as, as a Twitter troll and just say, you know what, I want to try and beat this guy up. This guy obliges and absolutely you know, smashes the shit out of him. It's like he's trying to be the UK's version of Charlie Zelenoff. Do you remember Charlie Zelenoff in America when he was calling Deontay Wilder's daughter and he turned up at the gym and Wilder just absolutely annihilated him and then he did it with Floyd Floyd Mayweather Sr. as well and he challenged him and fought him. He's just like, why are people doing this? What gives people the right to think they can go on social media and sit there and say, you know, I'd beat Sonny Edwards in a fight. Turn up at his gym, have the audacity, the stupidity, and the balls to do it, and then just get absolutely embarrassed in front of the world on social media. Why do that? Why do it? It's just amazing that people actually go out and do this stuff, isn't it? Oh, mate. Um, I mean, as you say, I mean, at least he's backed up his words, which is not often what you see on social media. Most of the time, you know, they hide behind their screens and and um, as soon as they're sort of put in their place and, and, and sort of questioned and asked to come outside, basically, um, they very rarely do. So credit to the guy. But, yeah, like you say, I think he's obviously doing it. Uh, he's probably thought, well, I'll, I'll, it's a sparring match. You know, he's not going to kill me kind of thing. So um, I'll take a beating for the bit of publicity for it. I mean, we're talking about it on here. So maybe that, you know, ideally that's what he wants. He wants to get that limelight on him, uh, whether he got bashed up or not. Um, but you do look like a bit of a dick, though. Let's be honest with you. <laughs> Some people enjoy being a dick and still being a dick in public. Some people quite like it. Any attention is attention, no matter whether it's bad or good. I mean, you're seeing it with the old uh, Rebecca Vardy on the news earlier. She, she gets, gets told she's a liar. I mean, completely well off of boxing, but but yet there's you know they're in the they're in the public eye. They don't care. These people genuinely like it. So this guy, I think he's he's, he's He's taking this route, isn't he? Uh, I don't know. Uh, look, 
kudos to him though. Look, he, he's had the bollocks again, going in the ring and, and, and he's taking a beating. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's what we should get this going more, you know, if these, these tr- trolls want to keep trolling people, then um, especially boxers, then yeah, send them to whoever they're trolling, send them to their gym and then let them pulverise them for three minutes. That'd be great to see, wouldn't it? We should do this as a regular thing. Just just stick it on YouTube, you know, the tr- trolls getting smashed. Yeah. Oh, it'd be lovely. I wouldn't mind yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that that would be pretty funny to see. Well, Sonny Edwards is also been again on Boxing Twitter this week for calling out the presenter and the owner of the YouTube channel Seconds Out Boxing. Danny Flexen, he's been around boxing for quite a while. I've never personally crossed paths with Danny. I can't honestly sit here and say he's a good or a bad guy. I've got no real opinion on him, so to speak. But I come onto Twitter because I got a message off a friend and he said, oh, you want to see what's going on on Twitter? Uh, Danny Flexen from Seconds Out. So I go on and it took me a while to sort of figure out the context behind what was going on. Um, I probably could have got this completely wrong, but in summary, from what I saw and what I read, he basically tried to get into Sonny Edwards' sister. He sent a couple of DMs. One of them ended up being a comment which was on the side of a bit racist. And as a result of that, he got outed for it on social media and has now basically come off social media and said he's taking a break away from it all, etc., etc. It's just madness. Like, I don't understand, like, why, what goes through the minds of people when, when they take these actions and they make these comments. Like, you know, someone tried to do it to me a few years ago, some guy who's well-known in, in the boxing world who's got a YouTube channel. I'm not even going to give him the credit of mentioning him. But, you know, he, this guy tried to do something similar to me. You know, I made a comment sort of in jest on social media, and it wasn't really a, that bad of a comment. It was no racism, homophobia, or anything of that type of nature. But this guy was trying to out me to my actual workplace. This guy literally went and hunted, hunted me down on social media uh, and tried to out me to my own workplace. But, it you know, it backfired on him because they just Twitter actually removed it because because of the the context of what he'd put on there in terms of what he was trying to achieve but this is the type of stuff that that people people try and do for the ones that obviously do that sort of stuff and are, are idiotic enough to to make sort of homophobic or racist or whatever type of comments it is they're making if they're stupid enough to put it out there and i suppose it's their own fault really you can't really blame anyone else but themselves uh, it just makes me sort of wonder what goes through the mind of people because like this is a guy danny who you know has got this successful youtube channel you know i don't know what people's opinions are on his youtube channel whether they think it's good or not but you know this is a guy who's been in been in around the circuit for a while he's been going to the press conferences interviewing all the fighters got this you know reputation and respect probably from quite a few boxers and then this happens it's i just find it mad and this is kind of why both of us we tend to stay off a lot of social media only when we're promoting the podcast of course that's the only time we generally go on it isn't it like when we're putting all the stuff out for the pod like i tend to stay away from all this now because you can get embroiled in some of this stuff so easily it's ridiculous but i thought i'd just take the the last few moments of the pod to mention these things because i just found it madness i know a lot of you guys that listen to us you're on social media you're at you're more active on social media so you'll know exactly what we're talking about i just find it absolutely madness but if you've got any thoughts on it please do share them with us because i'll be interested to know what people's opinions are on the whole twitter trolling turning up at gyms and obviously well-known people within the boxing circuit making comments inappropriately to people which has then led to them potentially losing all the work they've put into their channel over the years it's absolute madness 
But do you know what, Johnston? It's been a pleasure to be back doing a podcast, doing the Big yeah. Fight Reaction. It's been a great weekend. I've enjoyed the weekend of boxing. And we are going to be back in the week with a Big Fight preview as Michael McKinson aims to upset the apple cart fighting Virgil Ortiz Jr. We will be talking about that fight in the Big Fight preview for it, plus the DAZN card that's also on, and the cancellation of the Hassim Rackman and Jake Paul fight will be discussed in that show as well. A big thank you to everybody, as always, for supporting us. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to the patrons of the podcast for supporting us, as always. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. Make sure you go and follow us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod or BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you later this week. Podcast Network.